Hello and welcome to the Digital PR Podcast, a podcast that will cover the big talking points of the digital PR industry. My name is Steve Baker and this is Louise Parker. Hello. We both work at digital marketing agency Propellernet and we've both been working in digital PR for a long time. Nearly a decade for you, Lou, right? Yeah, that's right. And over a decade for me now. In the last few years, we've seen the digital PR industry explode. And with that has come a lot of interesting conversations about how the discipline works and where it's going. From creativity to relevance to burnout, this podcast will cover the subjects that everyone is talking about with the help of some very special guests. Today we are talking about reactive PR and newsjacking, a staple of traditional PR agencies for decades. In the last few years, the art of quick turnaround stories that are reacting to breaking news or events has become very popular in the digital PR industry too. To discuss how digital PRs can use reactive to build links and get great coverage, we've got Sophie Roan on the podcast who has recently been specialising in reactive PR. Welcome, Sophie. Hello. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for joining us, Sophie. Let's get straight into it. Um, What is newsjacking and reactive PR? What does it mean for you and how how do you kind of describe it and explain it? I think the best way for me to describe it is kind of putting your clients as the expert to kind of sometimes just put the jargon into kind of plain terms. So I think, you know, a lot of finance kind of clients and you know, mortgages will more than likely simplify breaking news to those that aren't very kind of aware of it or might not understand it. And then you've got kind of, you know, the other side to it where it's kind of pushing out products on the back of kind of trending stories, whether that be Harry Styles wearing a pair of trainers. <laughs> um, you know, we can then look at sales and then it creates some headlines where it's like Harry Styles has, is, is, the, is the reason behind these massive sales and he's the one that's kind of causing a trend. And then you've got kind of TikTok as well. So, you know, we love to doom scroll on TikTok. I think we, we're all kind of a little bit guilty of that. I certainly am. But you will see stories like, you know, we did a story around a fake tan bedsheet that was going viral on TikTok. And we identified that our client sold one. And it was simply, we're selling them for £20. And it just went mad. It just went crazy. Yeah, sometimes I can, it's just the simplicity behind some reactive and kind of like news stacking stories is always quite, I don't know, quite surprising. Um, and that's not to do down the story. It's because you've seen a great opportunity. But yeah, just the um, simplest kind of little link to your brand can do really, really well. I mentioned in the intro how it's becoming a bit more popular to be doing reactive and news jacking PR in the digital PR kind of SEO PR space. Yeah. Do you think um, more agencies or brands are adopting it? Is that what you're seeing as well? And if so, why? What do you think the benefits are and why people are doing it? I think, uh, you know, a lot more agencies are kind of going down that route because if you think, you know, a big hero campaign takes sometimes eight weeks to develop uh, from end to end. Um, and sometimes, you know, as we know in PR, it doesn't always get linked straight away. Um, but I think with Reactive, what's really good about it is it's just that quick turnaround. You can test, you can A-B test it. If it doesn't work, you know, you're not at a massive loss uh, with, you know, a campaign. So I think I'm seeing the shift between, you know, campaigns aren't dead. They've got the longevity, the longevity and they have, you know, the wider outreach opportunities. 
Um, but I think, you know, people will start kind of adding reactive to their strategies to kind of have, um, you know, the deliverables of more links um, whilst they kind of still kind of carry on with the hero campaigns in the background, they can still kind of deliver those results to the client. You mentioned um, A-B testing there. So I just wanted to kind of pick up on that a little bit because I'd be really, really interested. I think our listeners would as well about how like how you actually go about doing that. Do you mean you're you're literally testing different versions of the story or different headlines and pitches? Because obviously you can do it a lot quicker with Reactive. But how do you approach that, Sophie? I think sometimes, you know, you've just got to take a chance with Reactive. A hundred other brands might be thinking the same as you, um, you know, and sometimes it might not actually be that interesting outside of your own brain. Um, I definitely see that sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so interested in this. I think the whole world will kind of too. And I think it's just simply kind of A-B testing your headlines and you're not doing any harm. You're not at no loss by sending out a press release. Um, And if it doesn't get picked up, it doesn't get picked up and you can kind of just try again. Yeah, there's definitely a lot more kind of talk about the the pressure that a hero campaign can have because, like you said, of those eight yeah. weeks of production and that's a lot of kind of cost in terms of the time, but also there might be also extra production costs as well. Um, and because do you find with Reactive, you are you ever using extra budget? Are you, um, or is it only your time that you're basically Not really, spending no. On it? I think a lot of kind of the Reactive time is you know, simple research, um, you know, you might have a look at some Google search data, Google trends, and on the odd occasion, if it's really necessary, you will run kind of like a a one-pole survey. So, you know, in respect to running um, a big, big survey, you know, £2,000, you can maybe do an overnight poll just to kind of get people's, um, you know, opinions on whatever topic you're talking about. That's, I mean, yeah, being able to do it kind of at speed with minimal budget, you can see why it's so appealing to clients in comparison to hero campaigns. I'd agree with you, Sophie. I think hero campaigns still have their place, will always have their place. But Reactive has intrigued us for a while. We talked about it a lot, you know, ourselves and as an agency. I'm interested in your views on on kind of what, what it needs from a client to make it work effectively. Like how quick do you need them to be? Like how, how do you kind of set it up for success? I think, um, you know, just going back to kind of my Brighton talk, it's literally taking them on a journey um, and having that process. And I think process is the key to having reactive work kind of really well. I think once you've built up that kind of relationship with the client and, you know, they are a little bit wary. They are kind of, you know, oh, I'm not sure if I want to kind of comment on that. Um, and I think, you know, it's just really being open and honest with them um and building out a process so you have the dedicated sign-off person you have that dedicated um you know time frame and you make them aware that you know if they don't stick to that then you know we're potentially going to lose these the reactive headline how long do you normally give them to once you've kind of proposed the idea and think it's good for them how long is that window for them to be able to give sign-offs for you to go ahead If we are looking at kind of finance announcements, we're looking at a couple of hours. If something's really just breaking, then if, you know, you're going down the more pop culture kind of route uh, or seasonality. So if you want to do a piece on an up and coming storm, I think you have that kind of bit of longevity in doing a couple of days at the very max. Um, You know, I always kind of aim to get 
within 24 hours. Um, but we did some guides around um, Halloween recently. And I think, you know, we knew we wanted to do that. So ahead of time, we were able to kind of pitch a client um, and make sure that we had that sign off um, in time. So that's like, I'm again intrigued at like one, all of that, but like one part specifically I want to pick up on is is the idea itself. Like how do you come up with, because it's got to like relate to something that's kind of happening right now, whereas like a hero campaign can be something a little yeah. bit more about the brand or something a little bit more, what's the word? I was going to use the word tenuous. It's not the word. Lateral, like a little bit more lateral thinking. But yeah. like, um, how do you actually come up with the ideas? You're obviously used to working really quickly, but like, are you just constantly kind of switched on to what's happening? Do you have alerts? <laughs> like, and, and yeah, how, how do you find that? How do you do it? So for me, um, you know, I think there's two kind of directions to go in. I think there's seasonality. So you know that Christmas is coming up, you know that Halloween's coming up and bonfire night and all these kind of, you know, um, kind of days and seasons are always going to be there. So in that, in my opinion here, you can plan your reactive, right? Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of people are like, yep, yeah, we monitor the news. I find it really hard to monitor news because it's so big. Like, you know, I could have um, a finance client, a motoring client. I can't consume all that news. So I use RSS feeds and okay. I will create them to whichever industry I'm kind of looking at. So, for example, I use um, a kind of, I think it's called RSS Owl. Um, and essentially, that will let me kind of filter and put in folders each niche and certain keywords on Google News. That's so interesting. I've never heard that before. No. That's great. Like, it will change your reality. Like, you don't have to consume the news. The news will kind of deliver it to you. <laughs> Um, because I think, you know, another thing, you know, just touching touching on it is is burnout in our industry. And I think with Reactive, you are so consumed to all these negative stories, you know, cost of living, electricity bills. And actually, we are human. But, you know, I think the easiest way is instead of keep doom scrolling, just have your RSS feed set up with kind of, you know, keywords that you know that we can either comment on or that will be of interest to clients, um, which will then kind of just take a bit of pressure off, you know, yourself that's doing reactive PR, uh, but also to just kind of have it as soon as it breaks. Yeah, I've not, that's such a good tip because I've, I've genuinely not thought about it that way. I, 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 I did the doom scrolling thing and that's why I found it difficult because yeah. something I talk to my wife quite a lot about, it's like, she's like, oh, if the news kind of upsets you, then just don't read it. It's like, no, I kind of have to like every single day <laughs> yeah. for my job. So kind of my job. <laughs> yeah. But having the, the RSS feeds and, and being able to sort of, do you say you do it by industry as well? So you've got like automotive yeah. or finance, so you can kind of break it down and dip into as, as you want. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, same with kind of, you know, Twitter's different. Um, you know, you're just going to have to look at your trending um, kind of stories anyway. But um, yeah, just by having those folders up, you know, automotive, uh, finance, cost of living, it just really does make it easier. In your in your experience, are there, because we're talking a little bit about sectors there, but are there, and you've mentioned finance and like automotive, but are there particular sectors that you think reactive PR and newsjacking like works 
particularly well for or vice versa? Are there like industries that you found kind of tough to crack or, or would just be like a little bit more wary of trying a reactive approach on? I think travel definitely um, has its kind of challenges, in my opinion. Uh, I think, you know, it is, it's, an, it's an area where, you know, if you're an airline, you can't comment on the airline problems, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of like, okay, who can comment on that? So uh, I think it's just kind of a day-by-day case as well. Sometimes a, a an industry that we didn't think worked would work great, but I suppose it, it depends on on what's happening on that certain day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I find it tricky to sort of, because obviously some clients are going to be more risk averse than others. So they just won't want to comment on certain things and other, like other industries just seem kind of more ripe for it, I suppose, where they're like, okay, yeah, we can offer this kind of comment and there's always stuff happening. So it's really interesting to get your your take on it because I've often, often kind of mused on that, I suppose. Do you see examples of maybe brands getting involved uh, with conversations where they maybe shouldn't do just because there's a reactive opportunity? Um, is that like maybe a common mistake that you see or are there any other things that you see kind of happening where you're like, oh, I'm not sure I would do it quite like that? Um, No, not really. If I'm honest, I think everything I've seen um, maybe, you know, has a place because it's probably been covered. I think, you know, we will never know those brands because, you know, they're not being covered unless we're the journalists getting the the kind of... um, Yeah, the tweet happens. (laughs) Of course, you see journalists like tweeting stuff, and you're like, "Oh no!" And you just you just want the world to kind of like cave in on you. But I think, yeah, you know, I think it was um, someone done like around on Twitter. But I think what's really good is smaller agencies can do it on behalf of themselves. Mm. So I think you know, I think it was Ferry um, and his um, agency that commented on the Elon Musk Twitter searches for people deleting Twitter and I thought that was really good you know it's it's easy he he done it in like 20 minutes um but yeah I think I'd, I've I've had the conversations with clients uh, especially when the queen, the queen died they you know was coming to us and saying is there anything we can do and I was like look just back off oh, really? I think you should just be quiet oh, <laughs> yeah I, um I was gonna say no I, I completely agree with that because I actually I think I did some it was a comment. We got asked for a little bit of comment, didn't we, from like Marketing Week or PR Week uh, about should brands be responding to the Queen's death? And I was like, well, it's got to be kind of, well, probably not. If you're asking the question, then probably not unless it's like super relevant. But you could see the tweets from brands. It was like Poundland sort of said, oh, here's our here's our take on it. And do you think there's like a danger of brands sort of jumping on the bandwagon with reactive and reactive PR and newsjack and thinking, oh, I've got to do it. So therefore we'll do it come what may and we'll just sort of like fudge it and make it work. And then they're just trying to comment on everything. Do you think there's a risk of that? Absolutely. I think as brands, you know, you've really got to think about, are you funny for a start? And I think um, Audi do it really well. Mm -hmm. Um, Ryanair have done it really well, but they've done it really bad as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've seen a couple of their tweets. I'm like, oh God, no. Um, and I think, yeah, you know what? You've just got to look at the bigger picture. You've got really got to sit down with your strategy team and think, should we do this? Uh, and kind of weigh up the pros and cons. Yeah. You mentioned a little bit earlier about um, burnout um, and how yeah. if you're doing reactive and news jacking, you kind of, it's a, 
it's a lot of pressure to be making sure you're not missing anything. Do you think there are times when, you know, it's okay to let a story go because you just might not have the time or you're busy with other things at work? Like how yes. how do you reconcile that with thinking, oh, this would be really cool for my brand, but actually I've got a million other things to do this week. I don't know if I can fit it in and then, you know, and then yeah. we lose that opportunity. Um, yeah, I think it's okay. I think it's absolutely fine. There's been, you know, a number of times where, you know, I've just been so busy and thinking oh, I would be really good, but actually I need to put myself first. And I think, you know, where this will come into, you know, a little bit of problematic kind of thinking is, you know, bigger, big agencies that don't actually necessarily realise how much you are consuming the news and reactive and how much, you know, that could have an impact on, you know, one's mental health. Um, you know, I think it was at the start of COVID before, like we had so much pressure and then we were like, oh God, and we're just consuming all this news. We don't actually have time to switch off. So I think it's absolutely fine to just kind of put yourself first and think, you know what, this is causing me more stress um, and it, I just need to let go. Yeah. Yeah. No link is worth that, really. If you really think no. about it, there'll be other <laughs> opportunities. It's fine. But yeah. I think it's it's quite hard often in PR as well because it's quite a well-known fact that especially certain publications love bad news. You know, it, it's they, yeah. they don't want the good news, they want the bad stuff because that's the stuff that gets clicked, that's the stuff, stuff that gets shared. And I think there is a point with us where it's like you could just churn out a load of really negative, horrible news and you probably will get coverage, you probably will get links, but like, do you want to put that out there? Like, is yeah. that going to make you feel good? Is that going to make other people feel good? I think there's an yeah. element of like thinking about what you put into the news cycle as well, which um, I think more people are considering as well. Mm. I learned the hard way with that one in um, the start of COVID. You know, we didn't really know what COVID was um, and it was like, oh, I can get a link by saying you know, COVID's on your steering wheel. And actually, you know, the link was good in that. But as time kind of went on, I thought, I'm actually contributing to scaremongering people now, which isn't fair. And I can see, you know, the impact this could be having on people as kind of readers that don't understand PR. Mm. And, you know, they might just see a headline and think, oh my God, what? Um, so I think, yeah, it's definitely kind of looking at an opportunity now and valuing whether you are going to affect people negatively. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I think you, COVID's been mentioned a couple of times. I was going to ask, like, how how much of a part do you think COVID has played like the last, well, last couple of years, which in so many ways feels like a bad dream, like really sort of, yeah. really odd to sort of think <laughs> Now that. we see Matt Hancock online. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the world's not real anymore, is it? Let's be honest. But like, how, how much of a part do you think COVID has played in the acceleration of the popularity of reactive PR and newsjacking, particularly with regards to digital PR? Because I think, Lou, in your intro, you mentioned it's, it's all, you know, it's been around for a while, used by traditional agencies yeah. and increasingly by digital. But yeah, like how much of a part do you think COVID's played in, in the acceleration of that? Um, I think, you know, we, as uh, personally, at the time of COVID, we had all these campaigns that were no longer kind of useful, mm -hmm. you know, traveling and, and um, you know, office working, for example. But we still had to kind of deliver results to our clients. Um and that's when we were kind of like, okay, should we just try this? You know, we don't have eight weeks. We've got to deliver this within, you know, a couple of weeks. And um, let's try kind of commenting on it. And I think when I asked, um, you know, journalists, I surveyed journalists and I asked them what they wanted at the time. They wanted helpful guides and, you know, comments and stuff like that. 
So it's kind of like, you know, grouping all the clients that weren't actively having any uh, campaigns out at the minute and seeing what they had to offer. You know, what did what could they comment on? Um, you know, do you have this spokesperson in mind? And kind of, you know, basically doing a new strategy for this group of clients that we no longer could service during the lockdown time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the ultimate pivot, wasn't it? And, and sort of a real test of of all of our kind of like yeah. flexible approaches. Because I remember, you know, me and you had a chat, Lou. It's like, what do we actually do? We don't know what we're doing because we've never been in this situation before. <laughs> Journalists yeah. don't know what they're doing. Clients don't know what they're doing. So finding that that route, and I completely agree. I think it has accelerated it a lot, like the way we have to work with journalists. We've said campaigns still play a part, and they do. But yeah, reactive mm. seems to be not just a nice to have kind of integral to most approaches so yeah. i mean there's just so many examples of it doing so well so it's hard to argue with it when you can see these great results do you think that maybe in the future or maybe now there is an argument to just do reactive no campaigns um no i think you know campaigns always going to be good for you know having ownership from clients in certain industries so reports um, you know, interactivity and really kind of um, crunching down big data sets uh, because they're always interesting. Um, do I think that there's certain kind of campaign areas that have died? Yeah, of course. Like, you know, we are, we went from kind of doing really fun big survey pieces that will probably not be as popular anymore because you can do an overnight poll that can tell the same story for less amount of money, basically. Mm. Um so I think, yeah, campaigns definitely do have a place, but I think they've really got to be standout campaigns. Um, do you find, because obviously we work in digital PR, I think all of our fairly recent backgrounds are from kind of SEO. So we're doing it for the, one part of it is doing it for the link, which is hopefully going to help your SEO and your rankings. Do you find that the links that you get from Reactive differ from a campaign or are they a particular type of link? Like, do you find you get more no follows or affiliates or anything like that? What's your experience yeah. with the link side? Um, I think product Reactive. So, if, you know, if I'm pushing out a product that's gone viral, um, I think I've done some um, kind of dog denim jackets um, <laughs> and, and kind of different product offerings. And I'll... I know. So I feel like they are a lot of affiliate kind of um, links when you're going down the product route. Uh, You know, when you're going on to comment, I suppose it differs by industry. We know that, you know, more regional content is going to get us no follow links. Um, But, you know, when we go into the niche side, so technology and and kind of, um, you know, finance, we do see a bit of a mix. Um, I think it's the same with campaigns. But, you know, when you're doing product stuff, most of the time it is affiliate. Yeah, I, I often find, at least at the moment, at time of recording, when it comes to affiliates and products, I find the UK is so much worse for affiliates, if you're considering them to be bad, um, than yeah. like other countries. And I don't know what it is. I guess, I don't know if our, um, you know, those kind of publishing networks are really suffering and need to be making more money, which is totally understandable. But I just de- definitely find like, that you know, kind of the hearsts of the UK, it's just blanket affiliates um which does you know yeah, it's tricky you, when you have your clients you literally get so excited when you see that link <laughs> yeah and it just skims and you're like no <laughs> and you just want to throw it out the window um you know I, I think yeah we are I've seen it a lot and I think I've seen it on sites you know that I would think 
didn't. And I was like, oh my God, what? This has got to be wrong. It's got to be a technical glitch. Um, but yeah, and I think that's that's the thing. You know, you can venture out to the US with reactive, um, you know, and European um, kind of countries that we see have a bigger follower, uh, a follow link kind of background. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you plan for that? A lot, like, in, like so. You plan a reactive story, knowing that it's going to work for kind of international outreach, or does it very much depend on the story? Because I'm guessing if it's like you're responding to, I don't know, like I'm a celebrity or something like that, it's going to be quite UK specific because it's so unique to us. But like, what's the balance in terms of international and UK for you? Um, balance is, I think, UK specific is going to be finance. Um, you know, the housing market. Stuff like that because that is so different with other countries. But I think when you look at pop culture, um, you know, for example, say um, I'm a celebrity, there was an Australian contestant. We know that Australian news would be covering them because they are from Australia, basically. So I think it's how you look at your kind of outreach strategy with Reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's Harry Styles. The US love Harry Styles. The world loves <laughs> Harry Styles. Like you can't not like the guy. Um, so I think yeah, it depends on a case by case basis. But I think you know more of the you know government, housing market, and finance would be just generic to UK. But there's always kind of a different angle. Yeah, that makes sense. But you've you've led me on to sort of I I was just starting to think like who doesn't like Harry Styles and <laughs> why? You know that's quite a big question. Maybe a, a campaign in that some search data like why why would you not like him he must be like the most loved person on this world like on this earth yeah that is a good campaign (laughs) he's got actually yeah let's not give away the goal we can always cut this bit out but i'm going to note down who who is the most loved person on this earth and loathed so we we talked a lot about like the best approaches and how you approach it and you've given some amazing insights and, and tips but what do you think are the most kind of common mistakes made by either brands and clients or by freelancers, in-house teams when approaching like reactive PR and newsjacking? Is it is it mainly about like the lack of speed? Is it responding to the wrong things? But like what what have you seen that you kind of dislike? Um, I think it's when you are basically doing advertising. Um, mm. You know, you're trying to be reactive, but you're not. You, you, just trying to sell your product um there's no kind of link to the story or you know you're trying to comment on something that's quite sensitive um and i think some brands can be tone deaf what's going on and i think you've really got to just take that one minute to think is this worth it am i going to upset people or am i going to be helpful um i think the biggest mistake is kind of not thinking about your comment. Have you got any examples of um, great reactive PR that either you've done yourself or that you've seen that you thought was, oh, I wish I'd done that? Do you know what? I loved the, um, it's what always stick with me, is like Squid Games. Um, oh, yeah. When I think it was Rise at Seven done the white vans and it just kind of went everywhere. And I was like, what? Um, I think that was really cool. I think you guys do a lot of reactive at PropellerNet um, that, you know, I always see and I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> um, you know, there's just so many brands doing it now. And I think sometimes they do it without knowing it's reactive. Oh, yeah, um, go on. So, 
for example, like it could be a tweet. It could be, you know, um, just kind of putting something out there at the time. And I think, I don't think their PR team actually realised. I think it was um, a Cardo that did it more recently around um, the dog Christmas pudding. And I was like, you do realise that's a really good campaign and, you know, you should be doing something about that. Um, and I think, you know, if people have all these product offerings, you can be so reactive with it. So is that that they had that product and they were just selling it and it's actually a really yeah. good, yeah, yeah. PRable product? And then they itself. tweeted it and then people go mad on the tweets and start tagging everyone in it. Um, I think, yeah, they, that sometimes people don't actually realise that they probably have a really golden product that can get you headlines and, and links. So how do you think, because I totally agree, and that's a really interesting example. And just to clarify, it's Christmas puddings for dogs, right? Is that, that I, yeah. I, I think I missed, yeah, okay. Um, dog Christmas, yeah, it's a good one. But like, how do you think that's that's missed? So do you think it's on the the PR team to be sifting through product and connecting with the sort of the brand team, the social team, whether that's in-house or at client? Or do you think that's kind of, a bit of both so it needs to be pointed out to PR because obviously we got a lot on our plates um so like yeah what would be the ideal kind of setup at a client to get that done properly do you think um I think for me I think I've always kind of looked if I've been given a client uh, for reactive I will look at everything they offer um and I think sometimes it's as it's that simple people don't think of it I, I honestly just do think that's the main reason that, you know, maybe in-house PR teams are like, oh, well, I didn't really think of that because it's just what I see every day. Yeah. Like, why is that of interest? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like so sort of second nature, so ingrained what they offer. They sort of lose it's sight of what's in interesting. Face, you don't realise it. Yeah. Yeah. You literally, it's there staring you in the face um, and, you know, people people do miss it. I think that's another great tip, that kind of that starting point. Um, I think we do it quite a lot. You know, you do like the brand immersion and you do like, you know, you think you get the information about the client, but just having your own kind of sift through absolutely everything they offer and noting down what you think are the most interesting things, because it might differ from what the client thinks as well. You know, when clients are like, oh, we've got to push this product or this thing. And you're like, actually, it's not the most interesting thing you do. We can make more of well, dog Christmas puddings or whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Even existing content on their blogs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's simple tips and stuff like that, especially, you know, cost of living. And I think, you know, brands will have stuff on food waste, you know, how to, you know, cut down food waste at Christmas. I mean, you've literally got it there. You have it there. Just add either some search volume around it, mm-hmm. you know, add something if you need it, but actually just take that, you know, the risk that's going to cost you nothing to offer it out and you'll find that, you know, everything's sat there already um, and you've just got to kind of craft your headlines. I think that's such a great opportunity, especially if you have maybe a trickier in-house PR team who sometimes, you know, might be really adverse to you coming up with your own complete um, campaign or something brand new. It's quite hard to argue with the, when you say, hey, there's something that literally is already published on this brand's website, could we 
just use that. Like, obviously, you've got the next hurdle of can I then talk to journalists? Sometimes in-house PR teams don't like that. But at least you've got that first bit done where you're like, look, you've already published it, so you can't have an issue with it because it's already live. So that's quite a nice way of um, kind of if you are finding it trickier with an in-house PR team. (laughs) And that's part of the process that I spoke about earlier. You know, you will have clients that are like, oh my God, we really want to do reactive. Um, and then you'll get, you know, maybe an in-house PR at that same client that like, no, you're not doing that. So then you're like, well, hold up a minute. How about I help you out? Okay, so we've identified this. I know you're really busy with kind of press office and, you know, all the announcements from your company. So would really love to help you out and kind of just outreach this existing stuff. Um, you know, we will, you know, I'm always like, you know, look, if you don't want us to contact certain people, we won't do it. That's absolutely fine. Like, And I think, you know, some people can be, um, you know, very protective of their contacts, which is understandable. Like if you've got a really good contact with that person as a brand, you don't want, you know, an SEO agency kind of sending them stuff out. So I completely get it. But then just look at the different niches that go, you know, around the nationals. We don't need to contact the nationals. Like, they don't give us follow links anyway, but <laughs> you know, we can go to the niches, we can go to the food sites and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a, a measured way of thinking about it because we have had, you know, that battle is real, isn't it, with um with PR teams and, and it kind of makes sense on both sides. There's the frustration when you're like, Oh, why can't we just do what we want to do? But actually thinking about ways you can help them is again another great example of how digital PRs can work within house teams and other agencies and say, oh, we can we can work together and, and do this thing that Yeah. Um, that reverse psychology. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lovely. I like yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. Um I was good this is quite a big question because we're asking you to sort of look ahead into the future and, and I mean particularly after the last couple of years, who knows what's going to happen. Um but where do you think reactive PR and newsjacking is is heading in, in the future? Do you, how do you think it might change? Um, I think, you know, brands will be doing a lot of planned reactive, you know, in the future, um, you know, based on seasonality and, and bits like that. But I think, you know, people are just going to be a bit more self-aware of the simple tactics that they can use. Um, you know, people are going to be looking at their client offering, thinking, oh, well, you know, this isn't going to cost me anything. Maybe I should just ask this journalist if they want this comment. Um, And I think, you know, it will definitely be ingrained in a lot of PR strategies going forward. Um, You know, maybe as part of a bigger retainer, as a a bit of a different offering. I do think that, you know, PR campaigns aren't dead and they never will be dead. Um, I just think we as an industry, you know, we, we rinse and repeat, don't we? You know, uh, we see someone else do something really good and we're like, oh my God, we can do that, but we'll do it, you know, different topic. Um, And I think that's what's going to change. You're not going to see that kind of rinse and repeat anymore. You're just going to be seeing a lot of brands comment in on day-to-day stuff. Do you think we'll see um, agencies specialising purely in reactive PR and news, Jackie? I mean, I guess there's agencies that excel at it and, and digital PRs or PR people that excel at it, but do you think we'll get like proper specialist agencies to say oh we don't do you can go to other agencies for campaigns but we just do this and we do it really well do you think we'll see a bit of that yeah absolutely Mm -hmm. i think there will be agencies that have struggled 
you know, in bigger campaign stuff, but, you know, excel at reactive PR, you know, their clients might not work. It might not work for their clients. You know, campaigns might not work for their clients. Mm -hmm. Um, They might be a massive established brand that have to go through a hundred loopholes to get a, you know, hero campaign signed off. However, they might just have existing products that you can kind of, you know, utilize uh, and say, you know, we'll, we'll do this and we, we do it well. Yeah. When, um, when you see reactive PR done well, um, what do you think that are the biggest benefits of it? Like if you had to sell it to someone, how are you going to convince them? What are the biggest pros? Um, you know, you put you put your client in the centre of a huge conversation. Um, I think that is, you know, the main benefit for reactive PR. Um, you know, because you are gonna you're getting a reach of people that are consuming that news right now. Whereas, you know, hero campaigns, you, it is niche. You have a smaller pool of audience, and you have to build that over time. Whereas, you know, if you're commenting on something that's gone viral on TikTok, you're going to be reaching an audience that you probably wouldn't have reached in a hero campaign. You know, like 18-year-olds on TikTok around fake tan kind of, you know, bedsheets isn't going to be the same that you would, you know, potentially um, target in food waste campaigns, Mm. you know, and, and, you know, stuff like that. So I think it's just a better way to reach a larger audience. So our final question for you, Sophie, is what do you want to see more of in the digital PR industry and and vice versa? What do you want to see less of? Obviously, it doesn't have to be around newsjacking and reactive PR, which we've talked about extensively in this episode. But yeah, what what do you want to see more and less of? Um, I want to see more creative thinking. And I know that's really kind of, you know, difficult to do in our industry. But I think we have got it's been quite turbulent in the in the PR industry over the last 10 years that I've been in it especially I think you know I started out when it was infographics and then you know tips and guides and then we went on to the really cool stuff like the rendering and you know uh, the big data sets that were fun to kind of use but then we went into surveys and I think we see a lot of surveys now and I think it maybe falls on workload being one I think you know some PR managers are so stretched they can't be creative they have that kind of uh, churn out mindset okay right we'll do a survey on this and churn it out what I want to see is that big creative thinking like you know when you see a brand that kind of sticks out so um you know I think more recently Neo Man done the children books um I think it was internet was it internet safety? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I thought like that is the stuff that I literally just want to see that big standout creative stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd really love us to kind of go back to that big creative thinking. And what about like, anything- especially with cross channel stuff, I think social media as well, you know, that's our, that's our kind of opportunity to be big and, and creative. Well, that's a very inspirational message to sort of to end the episode. So um, thank you very much, Sophie, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you about all things reactive um, and newsjacking and, and the digital PR world. Thank you for having me. Do you want to shout out your Twitter, Sophie, so people can get in touch with you if they have any other reactive questions or queries? Yeah, absolutely. You can get me, it's really simple, it's just Sophie Roan, uh, that's my handle on Twitter. <laughs> I don't have uh, anything exciting. But yeah, you can reach out to me on there if anyone has any questions. 
um, you know, wants to collaborate, uh, collaborate, collaborate. <laughs> you can leave that in. I think that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, hopefully I will kind of speak to you guys soon as well. Yeah. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much. Thanks guys. Thanks Bye. Sophie. Bye. See you later. Bye.